Our go date is in three days. The night of the debate. Now all of our work is worth nothing if we don't move this money in fast. The notebook says $5 million. That's exactly the amount of money Mulligan was accused of taking in commission kickbacks. So over here we have $2 million. 20 Tupperware boxes, each box has $100,000 in $100 bills. It weighs 44 pounds. Now over here we have $2 million. 40 Tupperware boxes, each box has $50,000 in $50 bills. It weighs 88 pounds. I feel like I'm in school. Tell me about it. We gotta start thinking like professionals. We're in business together. There's not gonna be some cozy reunion. After this job, we're done. We have three days to look and move like a team of men. The best thing we have going for us is being who we are. Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 235, Widows. This movie for me is just always the, because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. (laughs) (laughs) In the trailer, nonstop. That might be the opening clip, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if there are a lot of clips for this one to pull out there floating around, but that sort of is appropriate for a movie like this, which was fairly successful and it was really well-reviewed, but I feel like it's sort of slept on by a lot of people and it's under the radar, which is why I wanted to do it on the show. Yeah, that's fair. I remember seeing it in the theater, enjoying it, but I hadn't watched it since. This was my first time revisiting it. Yeah, we saw it in the theater when it came out. I liked it, sort of moved on and, and put it out of my mind. On a whim, I bought the 4K Ultra without really thinking about it. I just bought like a bunch of stuff that day, probably. Kind of a surprising 4K Ultra for me. I, I, I guess I wouldn't have expected that it existed. Well, they put out like most new big movies. Out okay, yeah. On that, rewatched it last year, and I was like, actually, this movie's awesome. And I, I really just raised up, in my opinion. And now doing it for the show, it really confirmed my feelings on it. It had moved completely out of my mind until the end credits rolled that Gillian Flynn co-wrote the screenplay for it. Yeah. And it was, wasn't this kind of around the time of Sharp Objects being on HBO? What is it, probably 2018? Like, probably a few months after. Yeah. yeah. Such a Gillian Flynn moment in life. I mean, I <laughs> loved that show. It's yeah. probably one of my favorite things that's been on in the past five years. And it's kind of a name that I've since haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about over the past few years now. So that was nice. I'm to always thinking contact. about her. Yeah. She had a show. She's on a good egg. Amazon that got canceled after one season. It was that's called like, Utopia, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. I did not watch it. Anyway, we're talking Widows 2018, and it's time to jump in. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on 
Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. Let us know what you think of the show. Give us a rating and review. Tweet at us. If you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter. We'll get that mailed out to you for free. That's right. Boy, Zach, on top of me, if we have a request sitting in the can, as they say, I need to get these out the door. Well, our system, as we've said, is sort yeah. of weird, so I feel responsible for like that's making true. sure, but yeah. I don't have agency over the stickers. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's true. I get it. <laughs> I understand your sense of urgency behind it. And if you'd like, if you have a Letterboxd account already, or if you'd like to create one, you can find us on there, me, Zach1983, and Matt at Matt Crosby. I'm just at a ridiculous pace this week for movies. I'm I've sure. had some five and six movie days. Oh my god! This week, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've really been at a breakneck pace. It's, I don't know why. It's fun getting in the comments in Letterbox. I I kind of wish there was like a better interactive system. I don't think that they've quite got that mastered on there yet. Yeah, it seems like there could be more to it, like theoretically, but yeah. it, it just it, there isn't. It's sort of bare bones, but. I still like it just oh, as, absolutely. Like a, I'm a as a personal yeah. thing, even more so necessarily than like the interaction element, just to like keep track yourself. Absolutely. It's I'm nice. a fan of the app. I, yeah. <laughs> and one day I will make my way up to patron. It's not really worth it, yeah. I have to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, Widows was critically acclaimed, and it has like a... I don't know, 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, something like that. Very positive. People seem to like it. But if you dig through your letterbox to your IMDb, it seems like audiences are fairly split on this. I don't know if that's a certain segment of the population not agreeing with the perceived politics of this movie or if it's genuine feelings of not liking it or whatever. I'm not really sure how that all factors into it. But for me, I think that this movie sets out to accomplish a lot and does a pretty good job. It's it's jam-packed with <laughs> things. Not unlike The Departed, almost, like in terms of what they're all trying to squeeze into it. I would say almost more yeah, that's than true. that. And yeah. more charged yeah. topics, too. If I had any criticism of it, and maybe like more understanding of people that not like it, tonally, it can kind of feel all over the place at times. A little bit. A little bit. The whole scheme with our heroes, the gang, the gals, there's parts of it where I almost feel like it's like a point break thing with them. There's like this weird, like Nick Cage action movie with this whole plan. It kind of seems hokey at times. Yeah, but that's probably your built in misogyny because you think that a woman couldn't do this. Oh, no. I think a woman could do this more so than me. (laughs) Yeah, there is one element to the story that makes it hard to accept but it is the story yeah. i mean that it just it's the whole conceit of the story itself right. which is these three widowed women plus another woman that they recruit pull off this yeah yeah pretty elaborate and dangerous heist but they're definitely like playing with the goofiness the whole like van auction sequence I- yeah there is some humor to some of the scenes I would say, though, that it's mostly like a a darker humor. Definitely. Because, well, it's a dark movie. Even, like, the lighting of it is dark. It's very much hinged on sadder, more serious story elements that separate the film from a lot of more modern heist films. 
I think if you go back in time and you examine like Rafifi or, mm-hmm. or some older heist movies, yeah, yeah. there's sadness and darkness. But a lot of modern heist films, there's always that element of fun and like, whoa, one last job. <laughs> the big dirty. Danny Ocean winking at the camera. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like this is all fun and games kind of shit where this is not. And these characters are desperate. No. And sad. And their backs are against the wall. And the, so uh, that's why you stick with them no matter how fucked up things get. It's a movie of performances for sure. I mean, every person in every role is recognizable. Yeah, it's a jam-packed ensemble cast. But I just wanted to say, Daniel Kaluuya, unbelievable in terms of just being like a scary dude. <laughs> like, yeah. The whole like rap scene where he takes out those two dudes and it's just sort of like this crazy scary presence throughout the movie yeah mostly silent enforcer type character so widows came out in 2018 it was directed by steve mcqueen screenplay Mm -hmm. by mcqueen and now this is for him coming off of 12 years a slave which was the best picture winner yeah right super critically acclaimed yeah, this was his dream project. This was based off of a 1983 British television series of the same name written by Linda LaPlante. And McQueen saw this at age 13 and carried it with him for 35 years and finally got to make it because of the success of 12 Years a Slave. It was basically like, here's your chance to do yeah. whatever you want. And with the cast, not only just do whatever you want, it's kind of like, who do you want in it? <laughs> like, yeah. Just list off names and we'll put them in it. Yeah, he he fought to convince Michelle Rodriguez to be in this. She turned it down initially and he read other people and he was like, No, I want her specifically for whatever reason. And I know like Jennifer Lawrence was maybe gonna play the Elizabeth Debicki character, but there was a conflict. She was filming Red Sparrow or something like that. And she just always there's like always like she's gonna be in every movie. That's why there's always a conflict. The budget for Widows was $42 million. The box office was $76 million. So, so you're telling me that I, this is unbelievable coming off this. Wonder Boys had a higher... I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, <laughs> what did they possible? spend that money yeah. on? <laughs> a lot of partying in the greater Pittsburgh area, I think, during that Wonder Boys film. <laughs> Maybe it was, there was some money laundering going on Seriously. in that budget. <laughs> because this looks like a big, expensive movie. Yes. But they actually filmed it in less time, too. I think they filmed this over 90 days. Which I, is well, this months. whole, like, four months, that I, they don't do that for movies anymore. Well, there's a, there's a lot of the money right there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if you factor in inflation, that would mean that that $55 million is even more. I know. <laughs> I don't know. Wonder Boys is a strange movie. That's right. I, I don't really know what to say about I, it anymore. Yeah, really. Okay, we, I know we've moved on. But thinking of budgets, because we, we just did the Wonder Boys thing. It's like, I watched this movie, I'm like... This feels like a huge movie. This is another one of these movies. And by today's standards, for an R-rated movie that's not based on an existing IP that people are familiar with. Now, technically, this is based on something. <laughs> yeah. but Oh, everyone's like, oh, yeah, that British show from the <laughs> 80s. You're not getting $42 million for things like this unless you just won Best Picture. True. <laughs> it's yeah, not right, going to happen. Right, right, right. Especially, and I hate to say it, but this is the, the reality of Hollywood and the reality of our society, especially when it's being headlined by the women yeah now there are some big male stars in this but the selling point because of the title and because of who you're gonna see on the screen the most and all that stuff it is women yeah so to think you're gonna get 42 million for this 
non-pre-existing thing that's going to be headlined by women. I don't know. Widows stars Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, Cynthia Erivo, Colin Farrell, Brian Tyree Henry, Daniel Kaluuya, Jackie Weaver, Carrie Coon, Robert Duvall, and Liam Neeson. So, yes, huge cast right. with a lot of familiar faces. And Widows is a balancing act of substance and pure entertainment. It's a heist movie with a lot on its mind. There's a lot to process, and I and I think for the most part, in the two hours and nine minutes that it runs, McQueen manages to mostly pull it off. There's a messiness to the movie, which I think is reflective of the messiness of life, because there's so much going on in a given human being's life that most of the times in films or stories, you're hyper-focused on what that particular story is about. So most of the time in this movie, you're going to focus on the heist, and if the theme is then sexism or or gender, then that's going to be it. But that's not how this movie works at all. This movie incorporates so much, and it shows you the connections between the two things. And it does seem that a lot of the people who weren't as enthused about this movie the thing that they would come back to is like, why, what is this political stuff? You should have got rid of this. Focus on the heist. Focus on this. Focus on that. I don't know if that would make the movie better or worse, but it would make it completely different. And it, I just don't think that that's what the goal of this was. I think that McQueen yeah. wanted to incorporate all of these things. I think it's a, it's a movie that leans towards critics more, people that want to see something different and think about things from a higher level because – I do think that there lacks good guys in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, a couple of the girls from the gang, the Elizabeth Debicki character. It's hard to feel anything negative towards her, but like, <laughs> just not a lot of people feel very redeeming in this movie. Mostly, people feel cynical and bad. Um, I don't. I kind of feel like the three, I or all four of the women, aren't really that bad. Yeah, Viola Davis is questionable for me. What does she do that's questionable? Uh, I mean, she kills people. Who did she kill? Her, her husband. He was going to kill her! <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> the themes of the movie range from things like sexism, corruption, racism, police violence, interracial relationships, politics, the intersection of politics and crime, all kinds of shit. But it still manages to give you all of the action staples that you would expect in, yeah. a, in a typical heist movie. And when you get to the heist in this movie, it is fucking cool. Yeah, it looks cool. It's shot cool. And there's a lot of cool artistic choices throughout it. I just think that yeah, it's probably one of those movies that suffered from people's expectations and it not being what they thought exactly, so then they're disappointed with it. Well, I know uh, McQueen got a lot of credit for it for 12 Years a Slave. Obviously, it won Best Picture, but I think it's more starting to resonate with me now. Like Watching this movie the second time, how great of a technical director he is. Yeah. And now, as years go by, Shame is a movie that my appreciation continues to grow (laughs) for. (laughs) The more I watch Widows, the more I love it. I think it's got an awesome visual style. I love the sprawling epic narrative. Yeah. It's not really like an epic in the same way of like There Will Be Blood where it looks like an epic or something like that. It's more of like a sprawling epic narrative. It's it's just juggling 
so many things at once. It's got so many plates spinning. And like I said, personally for me, I think that he pulls it off and lands it as about as best as you can with this much going on in it. Yeah. For some of the audience, maybe they would appreciate less of some aspects and more of other aspects. They would maybe want like a more straightforward heist movie, something like that. And so in a two-hour and nine-minute running time, you're going to have sacrifices. Like the the buildup of the heist maybe is shortchanged a little bit because you're focusing on some other characters and some other ideas. But one thing that resonates with me is that each of the women involved in, in the main story, their journeys are pretty easy to track. You yeah. can see how they change by the end of the film, what's different about them what they've gone through, what obstacles they face. They're each presented with like yeah. their own unique set of circumstances that evolve over the two hours. I think there's a lot of expectations to the viewers to be able to fill in the gaps. And if people can't fill in the gaps, it's probably more frustrating to them. Yeah, I think it helps to see the movie a second time. And once you know the major twists and turns, possibly read some stuff. Which isn't a great thing to necessarily say all the oh, time. No. Southland Tales. No, it's not like imperative that you yeah. read it, but <laughs> if you're having a hard time putting some of the pieces together as well, to I why got the, this, uh, why that. Widow's graphic novel series. <laughs> there's a prequel graphic novel, yeah. <laughs> three parts that you have to read to really <laughs> and understand it. And then there's it. like a follow up mini series on Fox that. <laughs> and then a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. No. This is going to be a tricky film to talk about we might skip over some of the stuff some of the stuff might seem rushed or crazy so i would definitely recommend checking this movie out especially if you haven't seen it like i said i think it's it it did well i mean wasn't a huge hit or anything but 76 million is not bad at the box office for something like this in my opinion yeah but i think more people probably should check it out i think it deserves more respect than it gets I wonder if this is a movie that in 10 years people will talk about differently, like if there will be a revival of yeah. this at some point. I can remember seeing this in the theater, which at the rate we've gone to the theater over the past decade now, there's a lot that I don't really remember or don't really stand out anymore. But I can remember being excited for this, and I can remember the theatrical experience. It's a tense movie. It was definitely one of those ones that – you remember just because yeah. there's probably some moments where I'm on the edge of my seat. I could potentially jump out of it like an interstellar, like just, just a overreaction from a jump moment. Yeah, and I think that I didn't see a lot of the twists coming. Yeah. And it keeps you in suspense. But yeah, I do think that it's ripe for a reevaluation at some point where someone's going to like from some influential source online or something is going to rewatch this and be like you know what (laughs) widows was actually really fucking great i know it got good reviews at the time but it's kind of slept on it should be considered a classic i don't know maybe not but i think it works i know that people are hesitant and i know why because it just seems crazy the idea that these women are just going to inherit a plan to pull off a heist and then do it but then you also which seems like sort of a far-fetched crazy like you said, like more of a funny, goofy kind of a premise. Yeah. And then you inject it with a bunch of serious shit, and right. then people are like, well, what the fuck? Well, I wouldn't take it that way if they didn't act that way. That, I think that's the, the weird part about it. 
Like, well, I don't know. You're you're kind of over. It's it's more like they just don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Because they, they don't. It's not like Jim Carrey like talking with his <laughs> butt cheeks. It's not like slapstick. No, no, it's not slapstick. <laughs> it's just like they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. The moment where that guy at the car auction tries to ask out Alice. Yeah. I almost fell off my chair. I was just so embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So where are we going to celebrate? Right. <laughs> But that might have been the only moment that was like, oh, God. <laughs> I know, but I, it's just even the whole, the Veronica character, who, she seems serious the whole time, like, could, she seems like she could pull this off, but pulling the other two into it, where she's just like, okay, I've decided you're doing this job, and you're doing this job, and it doesn't seem like either of them could do the jobs that were assigned to them. Right, and Linda does fail, and yeah. then they have to basically Luckily, call an audible. Yeah, where... it works out. Yeah. Well, that's the journey, and it that's is. the thing that if they didn't try to have all of this other stuff going on with like the campaign and the pol- politics stuff and the backstory with Veronica and Harry's son and everything, if they didn't have all that stuff, you could focus more on the heist itself, but they do try to, to tell you a little bit of the story through montages a couple of times. Yeah. Let's get into it. All right. So, yeah, this one, like I said, check it out first because I'm going to say – the actor who's playing each of the character the first time I mentioned the character. And then we're going with character names. Right. And there's a lot. So I'm There is for, a lot. For yeah. the listener at home, if you if you haven't seen this, it's gonna be hard to remember, especially since there's a few characters that will essentially disappear and then reappear, some of them. And you know, Robert Duvall, yeah. it's like He's in it, and then he factors into the ending, and, I and then you're like, okay, who's this guy again? That's oh, yeah. one of the hard things, is there are people that are great in limited screen time, and you maybe feel like you wish you had a little bit more of it. Maybe, but maybe that's what maybe what makes it strong. It's like a salad with a lot of good ingredients. That's right. Wow. I've, salad. i got to tell you, I've never had a good salad in my life. Yeah, you, you can't make friends with salad. <laughs> no. As Homer Simpson said. Okay, let's get into it. Widows. We open with Harry played by Liam Neeson, and Veronica, played by Viola Davis. This was a surprising opening for me in the theater. I do remember that. They're just making out. It's like an up-close, passionate make-out in bed. It's like one of those ones where it almost seems like like you can see the spit on their lips. Well, (laughs) the thing that jumped out to me was Liam Neeson's make-out style. He's, like, got his whole mouth, like, over her whole mouth well, a couple of times. It's because he's one of these dudes that everything he has to do is intense, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. He's, like, it's he's like Michael Douglas. eat her mouth. Yeah, yeah, It was very strange what he was doing. But it's, like, over the top. It's disturbing, really. And it's cut in between, like, back and forth, cut to a heist in progress and so we're right in it in there, progress it, but already has gone wrong yeah you're like off the rails a little bit it's interwoven with other flashbacks you have harry and veronica i'm assuming what is like the morning of that day yeah who knows but that's what it seems like she's giving him a shot from his flask he's taking a shower different things like that but we're seeing a heist where it seems like it's gone to hell. They're being pursued right. and shot out, these men. We know Harry is one of them. We don't really know the other couple guys right away, but we're going to get introduced to them in a second. Because it's jumping back and forth to the other couples, too. We have Linda, played by Michelle Rodriguez, with Carlos, played by Manuel Garcia Rolfo. Their relationship does not seem quite as picturesque as Harry and Veronica's. 
there's some disagreement over money. Linda seems to own a store. I would say the rest of the couple seem to be, there's maybe some issues. Yeah, the thing with Linda is she seems to be an independent woman in the sense that she runs this business. She has a clothing store, but her weakness seems to be this man because she knows that he's a piece of shit. Yeah. But it's this unconditional love anyway. No matter what he does, it's fine. Her baby knows that he used to be a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) We also meet Alice, Alicia, or Alice, played by Elizabeth Debicki. Great name, Alicia. With Florek, who's John Bernthal. And when we meet her, she's got like a giant black eye and like her face is all bruised. So immediately we're like, I don't want this guy in the picture. Abusive relationship. And finally, there's also Amanda, played by Carrie Coon, with Jimmy, played by Coburn Goss. And there isn't a lot to draw from their little flash, but yeah. there is a, a look, a lingering a look hint from Amanda maybe. of something. But we'll circle back to Amanda eventually. I'm going to say circle back to Amanda a couple times before we eventually get to what I'm talking yeah. about. I think a surprise for me on the first viewing just as the story built, was how little screen time Amanda has. Right. Especially because it was an actress I knew, and I had this expectation that it was going to be these four women, that she was going to be part of the crew. Right. And then she's not. Right. So we get about 30 seconds to a minute of character development for each of these couples, and yet... You know so much about the couples, their dynamic, and possibly about the women specifically, too, even if you don't understand what you know or realize it yet. And eventually, obviously, one of these relationship dynamics will be completely flipped on its head in a way that you're not expecting because it's so different from what you're seeing. Sure. But that's part of the storytelling and the filmmaking. But aside from that, if you push away the the twists and turns of the story... I think that they do an unbelievably great job of telling you what you need to know about these characters in such a short amount of time. I saw a tweet recently that was talking about the movie Paper Moon and how it opens with Ryan O'Neill's character. A DVD you recently gave me. (laughs) Stealing flowers from a grave to take to a funeral. And you you just, you know immediately that he's a grifter. Yeah. In the opening five seconds of the movie, it's this great character development is basically what this tweet was. It's like, you know instantly who this guy is just from one little act that they show you. And that's kind of how the opening of Widows works. I think it's very effective. You understand that Harry and Veronica's relationship is built on this like passionate love. They seem the most sturdy. They seem the most well-to-do based on the surroundings of that scene. That's right. They seem strong and connected. Then you see Linda and Carlos and the dynamic with the store and the money and he's taking the money and he, he's got these debts and these problems and it's <laughs> it like, okay, like there's some issues there. you know immediately, but she can't stay mad at him. You get it. Alice and Florek, probably the most heavy handed, but it it's yeah, yeah. still, it conveys a message pretty quickly as to what the nature of the relationship is. Not good. He's acting like, oh, I don't like to see it. It makes me feel guilty or whatever. You know, he's putting on a whole thing. Oof. Yeah, it's very cringy. And like I said, Amanda and Jimmy is like sort of the hardest to really figure out, but that's probably intentional. That's one that I think is it's framed in a way that 
you're probably not thinking anything of it first time around, but once you know where the movie is, that's yeah. meant for the second time viewing. It's keeping you at arm's length. It's the sixth sense thing. <laughs> Harry and these men are involved in this heist that we're seeing. A lot of times when I go into movies, I build this whole movie in my head as to like what it's going to be before I go into it. Yeah, always and a good thing to do. Way off on this. I mean, I knew what the idea was, but I just wasn't expecting that these dudes were going to be dead in within the first two minutes of the movie. Yeah. I thought there was going to be a little bit more to it than that. So Harry and his criminal gang's getaway van get blown up during a violent police standoff. After yeah, boy. Stealing two million from Chicago crime boss. A lot of a Jamal Manning firepower from these police officers just unloading. It's like American Psycho. They really? just like shoot the van with a handgun. Yeah, and it just blows up, right. and they're like, "What?" So yeah, they're stealing from Chicago crime boss Jamal Manning, played by Brian Tyree Henry, which we don't know that at the time, but I'm sort of just summarizing it yeah, all yeah. here. This movie does that thing that a lot of filmmakers who do crime movies or movies like this with ensemble movies it cuts between things so fast that if i was to try to do these scenes all in specific order it would seem crazy because you're just like jumping to all this different stuff so i'm gonna summarize some stuff sometimes right and some stuff might be a little out of order as the way you see it in the movie but you know you'll live speaking of jamal manning we're plunged right into the politics of Chicago before we can even really get our bearings after that fiery explosion yeah. at the beginning. The $2 million stolen from Manning was to be used to finance his campaign for aldermen of the 18th Ward in the south side of the city of Chicago. Basically, okay. it's a little bit like The Wire, yeah. where they're involved in this criminal enterprise and he wants to get out of it. His point being he's 37 years old. That's right. He is a Stringer Bell type. I didn't think about that, but yeah. Although even Stringer didn't quite have the hubris to go into politics where there would potentially be a, a microscope Although on you, you feel at all like times. Maybe that's where it was heading. You know, you got the Clay Davis. Connection. I hate to like turn it into like real life, yeah. but it seems like nowadays you can just be a criminal and go into <laughs> politics. Like really? people don't seem to care, yeah. I guess, but yeah, I do see a lot of Stringer in his his character, so that's the idea, that they were going to use this money to fund this campaign, break into politics, change yeah. the direction of their lives. Manning is running against Jack Mulligan, played by Colin Farrell, the next in-line member of a family that has held the position going back decades. He's actually an interesting character, too. On my second viewing, I found him way more interesting than I really cared to think about the first time around. Because he just seems so sleazy and like such a douche. But he's more complex than he's, I think you th- at initial glance. He's probably worse than you think. Like he's not a sleazy douche. He's like a straight up criminal. Yeah, yeah. But he's probably not as big of a douche. It's hard to explain what, what I mean. But right. like he's less of a douche and more of like a serious criminal. And yeah. I don't know if that makes him better or worse. <laughs> Because being a douche is But again, I mean, so it's bad. mostly a series of bad people in this movie. He shows up for a face-to-face at Manning's campaign headquarters. There's a lot to process here. We meet Daniel Kaluuya as Jamal's brother, Jatem. I do like when he introduces himself as Jatem. Yep. And Jack says, I love you too, because in French, Jatem, like J apostrophe, <laughs> yeah, right. is I love you. <laughs> we have Molly... Coons as Siobhan. Maybe the best character in the movie for me. 
who plays Mulligan's aide, although it seems like they're having some sort of a sexual relationship. All we really know is that Jack is divorced. Yeah. And that's I mean, it. I'll tell you what, in that car ride scene, she talks to him like they're married. Yeah, it seems like, like she this is the thinks life that she's chosen. part of the future. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. she doesn't really have a lot to do in this movie except for that scene, really. Yeah. Dynamite scene, though. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Manning is black. Mulligan is white. And so that's part of the dynamics yeah. of this movie. Obviously, what they want to convey is that the majority of the 18th Ward is African American. That's right. But they've redrawn the districts, which at one point heavily what is this, Mighty Ducks? favored the Mulligans to keep retaining office. But now they're they have to fight a little bit more, as this is Jack's first time running for this. Adam Banks not living in Hawks territory. Turns out District Five. It's a whole new scene. This also deals with nepotism as well. There's a lot of pressure on Jack from his father, Tom Mulligan, played by Robert Duvall, who also seems like straight-up racist. Oh, yeah. And crotchety and old and on his way out. And I always love these characters, too, because it tells you so much about their lives. These ones that are like old and near death and yet still are so, so, so concerned about this and like and fired up. Yeah. Well, yeah, the terrible comes with the territory, but I know, but at some point it's like you don't let go. It's yeah, because like, why that's do you even care. Because that's like what you're living yeah. for at that point, I guess, is that he wants his family to retain this position. It seems like the Mulligans have profited off of the fat of the land. We're going to find out even more about that as we go because this movie really has its fingers in a lot of different pies. Yep. <laughs> There's a lot going on. We get into political corruption, all kinds of shit. Yep. <laughs> There's a montage of the funerals of the members of Harry's gang who were killed during the heist. We learn a little bit more about the characters. We see Jackie Weaver as Alice's mother, and there is just an obscene height discrepancy between the two that they were even like joking about where a lot of their scenes together are sitting down. Yeah. There's this, the one memorable scene that's coming up later where Jackie Weaver is standing up and Elizabeth Debicki is sitting down. Elizabeth Debicki is six, (laughs) three. That's not an exaggeration. And I think Jackie Weaver is like four eleven or something like that. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I I was saying though, Angus Grimm was the father (laughs) Just a wild scene there. Yeah, I did think it was in- interesting that Jack Mulligan is at Harry's funeral. So, if we want to spend any time, that's true, going down these rabbit holes. This is one that bothers me about this movie because it feels like something's being left out. The movie moves at a very quick pace in terms of a fairly elaborate plot but they don't really give you all the details. And when you take a second to think about every little piece of it, you're a little bit like, huh. So the only thing I can think of is, because what I'm talking about, I don't know what you're talking about, but what I'm talking about is, it's never really explained why that's appropriate, like why nobody questions that. Because, okay, Harry's killed in the middle of a police shootout after robbing money, He's obviously a known criminal at that point. So this guy who's a politician is at his funeral. Like, what is the relationship? What does the press think about this? Well, I'm also even just thinking for 
as part of the whole scheme of the whole thing, doesn't it seem like a bad idea for Jack Mulligan to be tying himself to this in any way? I don't know. Yeah. But I'm thinking, like, okay, the only explanation co- I can come up with is, like, if you want to take the Tony Soprano comparison. Mm-hmm. But it's not as if Tony Soprano is doing, most like, a big heist himself. That's right. Obviously, over the course of the show, right. Tony does a lot of things illegal himself. Yeah, but yeah. but he distances himself from the, the dirty work. Yeah, and he's not getting killed in a police shootout after a huge heist. And if he did you would feel like in the universe of the Sopranos, like the politicians and stuff that knew him right? at that point wouldn't be at the funeral if he died that way. Yeah, yeah. It's not a good look, especially during an election. Yeah, it ties in with the whole thing of like, well, what does Veronica know about what her husband was doing? Because that always seems to be up in the air. A lot of people debate it even in the movie. Well, <laughs> the full extent of the Jack Mulligan-Harry relationship even. Well, right, but I'm saying that ties in with all the other stuff. Like, who knew what about Harry at all is what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah, Even sure. Veronica doesn't seem to right, right. be fully clued in on what he did for a living. So, go ahead. what does she think he does? What do other people think he did? What is the they cover story? They dance around that, though. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, like, criminals are like cops. They leave it at the office. Right, I yeah. know. I just don't know like, what the cover story was. Like, what are right. Up until the moment where Harry blows up in a car, yeah. what are people thinking he was doing? I took, Where was their money coming from? She was just a, I took it that Veronica, it, it is like a Carmela Soprano thing. Like, she knows. They don't address it. Yeah. But she knows. Yeah, I did think that there were some it, it, Carmela even, Soprano. When she goes up, because at some point she's very defensive about how good he was. Right. Not as if, like, I just found out how good he is. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like You take it in a way that it's like, this is a known thing. You're, yeah, you're referencing the scene that will come later with Amanda where she's talking about his preparation. He never made a mistake. Ne- not making mistakes yeah. and stuff. Although that is ambiguous enough where they could be talking about any number of things. That's but, true. And that's a particularly loaded scene that we'll talk about later, I guess. Whole time caught the niggas in the back rapping. They cold, old job. Hey man, that wasn't our fault. They knew who we were gonna be. That shit was a setup. They had to be professionals or something. You let Harry Rollins get away with our money. No, that's not what I'm. I wanna hear what you were doing. Do it again. Hmm? Your music. I'm not kidding, do it again. All right, let's get it. Yo, I say, what the fuck is up? This my script, get it? Yo, I say, what the fuck is up? This my script, get a couple bucks, get some rubber, that's the shit. Pick a couple up, a 30 box, with the telescope, get your hubble up, buckle, buckle up, buckle up. Man, I do it for my guys. If you this, then you gotta die. That's a simple fact, simple truth. I could never lie. Dios mio, man. If we see your hand, we chop it off. Let me see your chain. Think you got that at the shopping mall by cinema. But a game stop that I shop a lot. I'm shipping malls from the same spot. Bruh. The 
Jatem, Jamal's brother, murders the two men responsible who fucked up and allowed the robbery to happen. In an intense scene. Oh, yeah. He's just a scary villain. And that money's gone. That's burned up. And the robbers are dead, too. So yeah. he, they, they're basically murdering people of their own that they feel like lapsed in their That's security right. duty. Yeah. And there's really no plot reasoning for that scene, but it, it just it's further development of the characters where you're like, okay, this is yeah. serious shit. A good reason to not keep all your wealth in cash. Well, if it's dirty money. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't laundered yet. They didn't make it to the Ozarks. Veronica is given a key to a safety deposit box by Bash, Harry's loyal chauffeur. I, I speak uh, like recognizable actors showing up in quasi smaller roles in the movie. Garrett Dillahunt. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the benefit of winning Best Picture. Yeah. You're gonna get people like John Bernthal for like two scenes. Right. You're gonna get Carrie Coon for four scenes. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I'm intrigued by the Bash character, I have to tell you. He he caught my interest a little bit more <laughs> this time around than the first time. Okay, well, let's hear it. Just his whole situation, obviously super loyal to Harry for reasons that we don't really know, but there's some issues here. <laughs> his struggles with substance abuse is certainly something. Yeah, something something's going there's on. There's a lot going on there. I was just intrigued by his whole situation. So within this safety deposit box is a notebook, Harry's notebook, with a detailed plan for stealing $5 million from Jack Mulligan's home. Although, should point out that they don't know that that's the house that this is for. They don't really know what this is yet. It takes a big portion of the movie to put all the pieces together. And a certain degree of luck, really. Right. But I'm just like simplifying yeah, yeah, yeah. what right. it is. Because again... Lay it out there. So the movie takes a change in tone, and, and as if it wasn't somber enough, it, it really like kicks off and gets going, and like the impetus for what is going to happen starts when Jamal, the guy who's actually running for office himself, Jamal personally comes to threaten Veronica, oh, yeah. demanding compensation for the money Harry stole. In a scene that I would refer to as dog horror... This stuff, anytime it's like the dog is at risk of being killed by someone intimidating. Yeah, Veronica always carries around this little white dog named Olivia. Jamal picks up Olivia. He's like holding it by the neck. And it's it, kind of like it is squealing, squealing at one yeah. point. Yeah. It's a very menacing scene. It is. Jamal gives Veronica 30 days to get the $2 million. She doesn't really have much options. As we find out, she doesn't really own this apartment. She doesn't really own anything. There's not really like a way to just raise $2 million. Right. And as that's happening, Linda finds out that her store doesn't even belong to her. Carlos lost it over gambling debts. Yikes. That she was clueless about. They basically come into her store, take all the inventory, take the cash out of the cash register. It's all just gone. Thought I'd sneak in a couple hands before my son's <laughs> birthday party. Wish me luck. <laughs> I miss my kid's party. <laughs> Carlos was just gambling it away. Yeah. <laughs> if you could find that, like, PA gambling. I did use it as a closing clip before, but oh, yeah. I don't know if I can find it I again. know, it's tough. <laughs> Our old pal, Kevin J. O'Connor from That's right, There, there Will, Will Be, Be Blood. Blood. Henry. <laughs> the fake Henry <laughs> himself. Guy, I mean, just such a skis. 
So one of the things that's in Harry's notebook is a matchbook from the Fireside Inn or Lodge. I don't know what it is. Okay, It's yeah. a bowling right, right. alley slash bar. Seems like a pretty cool place. I think so. Not but, a lot of patrons, but yeah. But the guy there is Bobby Welsh, played by the aforementioned Kevin J. O'Connor. And his role in this movie is sort of ambiguous to me. I guess he was an associate of Harry's. A friend of Harry's. It's hard to tell. A confidant. I don't know what his exact. He alludes to a debt putting him in the wheelchair. Right. I, you know, what level of Harry's involvement in that situation was. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they're implying that or not. It it seems unlikely to me. He does seem to carry some degree of loyalty to Harry, so it doesn't seem like Harry was the villain in that situation. But I, I guess it's just this idea of this past. Yeah, so Veronica goes to see Bobby. Bobby encourages her to sell the notebook. Yeah. Like, here is a foolproof plan. The Mannings, who are a crime family, basically, would have the resources to do this. But again, this is one of those things where you're just like, this part of it was planted by Harry then, right? Yeah. So this guy knows or not? Well, we'll just wait. Okay, okay. That is all going to be That's a a, a theory thing. All right. The whole time that Veronica is making these rounds, trying to piece this together, trying to figure this all out, Jatem is surveilling the scene. He's always watching her. He's basically assigned to keep tabs on her. But as we talked about, some of this information, at the very least some of it, seems to be new to Veronica. So there are times throughout this film where she does seem completely in the dark about a lot of this stuff. Yeah. You do get the sense maybe... She was aware that Harry was involved in some criminal enterprise, yeah. but to the extent and like the specifics and what he was doing, I would agree that she doesn't know the the detail. But she's never like at any point in denial that this is like no, his past, no, right? No, no, no. Like, yeah, she's never like defensive, like no, not Harry, <laughs> you know. Meanwhile, Alice's mother is encouraging her to pursue a life as a sugar baby. Thanks, mom. Showing her a website called DesiresForHire.com. <laughs> I think I should get a job. As what? A house cleaner? Serve coffee? Why would you ever do that? What else am I going to do? I went from your home to Florida's home. Men are supposed to provide for you. Where did all the money go? I told you, Ma, we spent it. You wanted me to have a nice life. How much did you get for your things? 3000 what about the bike? Yeah, if it's a Florex friend, what am I going to do with a bike? You idiot! You never ask for enough! Why, I should be like you and ask for everything like I deserve it. Drive my husband in the ground, take care of myself before my children. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mom. just don't know what to do. Such a beautiful girl I made. I want to show you something. It's an arrangement site. Alicia, these girls are smart. They go out one night a week and make as much as they'd make in a month at a 7-Eleven. And on top of that, if you're sweet, like you, 
They get bonuses, they get jewelry, they get treated like a princess. And they go to college. That's what I want for you, sweetheart. Is that so wrong? I'm not gonna sleep with men I don't know. That ain't my life. What do you mean by that? Who the fuck do you think you are, Elizia? You forget whose roof you slept under when you were 16, 17, 15. So don't act like you're the fucking Virgin Mary. It's an absolutely unbelievable scene between oh, yeah. Jackie Weaver and Elizabeth Debicki where Jackie Weaver like smacks her across the face. <laughs> And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. This like, is, this is right. the, her whole life. I get she it. went from an abusive mother to an abusive husband. And that's just like what she responds to, I guess. But just the idea that she's pushing her oh, into this. Oh, I like, know. Like, Elizabeth Debicki could choke slam her. Well, no, I mean, pushing her into this. Oh, life. I thought you meant was pushing her around. Oh, yeah, that Physically. is ridiculous, too. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing, specifically Chokeslam, actually. Right. I was yeah. thinking that. But, yeah, like pushing her down this road because Alice is like, well, I guess I could get a job, which seems normal. That seems horrible. And her mom is like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, you can't get a job, Yeah, you piece of shit. <laughs> what are you going to do? She's like, what are you going to do, clean houses? Because her house is, like, disgusting. No, no, no. You're beautiful. Here's something you can do. We're going to put you to work. <laughs> Out on the stroll. Yeah, really. <laughs> Except it's a little classier than that. It's not like full-blown prostitution. I think most people nowadays yeah, are aware of these things. It's very common it's now. More like a pretty woman situation. A little bit. Yeah. There's no guarantee of sex, I guess, is sort of how it's played off. It's sort yeah. of like escorting, but like another level up. Right. You have to look at even. the pricing to see what the full situation is well that's the thing i don't think there is pricing i don't think there's like guarantees of anything yeah so it's a risky proposition for everyone involved but if you don't put out you're not gonna get anything right. i guess is the idea so there's no money that changes hands just for the meetup i, I would need to look at the well part of it is going to the nice restaurant yeah. and part of it is like they give you gifts right it's not always cash it's like it could be diamonds it could yeah be yeah whatever if like oh you want this Three thousand dollar purse, right? You know how many blowjobs is that going to take? I don't know. It's a <laughs> world that I'm not too familiar with. <laughs> yeah, you actually made an account on Desires for Hire, like hoping men would take you out. Blocked immediately. Yeah, didn't get any interest. <laughs> I was trying to get a three thousand dollar purse. Not a lot of nibbles on that. <laughs> yeah. I do love that extended tracking shot driving sequence with jack mulligan in the back of a limousine with siobhan it's one of the best scenes in the movie there's so many details to this story that like we're kind of glossing over a little bit of like the political grossness like we're gonna talk about the corruption a little bit but i mean his whole like minority women empowerment thing so he's speaking at that then the press is giving him shit yeah well even this like location that they're at you know we talk talk about like chicago and like these social issue movies and this looks like a place from like medium cool. And then it's also like Candyman, you know? A little bit, yeah. It's just like all within the scope of this. So he's staying, he's giving like a political stump speech where he's 
promoting this jobs initiative thing where they're empowering minority women to own their own business and all of this stuff, which of course turns out to be almost like a mafia esque scam where right. they're like extorting the money and all that stuff. But besides that point, so they're at this very low income area. During this thing, the the media guy is there and he starts questioning this one media guy, by the way. Well, that's sometimes how it starts. Like yeah. they have the lead on this and then it's gonna grow from there. And that I think this is like the beginning and they're like, Oh shit, like the <laughs> They know. The snowball's rolling downhill yeah. now. And it, there's an investigation into a misappropriation of funds going on. Basically, Jack's father used to be the alderman. He appointed his son to do this Green Line Railroad expansion program. All of a sudden, there's $5 million that's unaccounted for, basically, Yikes. when somebody looked into it. So he, he gives like this blanket quote, which Siobhan's like, trying to get him not to give. And then he gets in the back of his limo, and they do this extended tracking shot where you stay with the car, but you're on the outside of the car. Yeah. It's like the camera's probably like affixed to the hood of the car or something, and it's like pointed at this angle where you see the city. And it's this very short drive, probably like 60 seconds to 90 second drive, but it covers a long distance because the sure. ca- camera's on a car. I mean, long distance for a shot is what I'm saying. Right. You basically understand the whole wealth disparity thing because it goes from like this low income rundown area and then like a few blocks to Jack's house, which is somehow still in the same district, but it's like a completely different area oh, I know. with like these huge houses. This is an insane house that he lives in. Like gated with yeah. like lawns. It's like a whole completely different place. But during that drive, you start to get Jack's meltdown. That's right. It's not quite Philip Seymour Hoffman and before the devil knows you're dead. No, but, but some of my favorite dialogue in the movie. He doesn't want to do this shit. He's like flipping out. And then Siobhan, who like oh, yeah. barely talks throughout most of the movie, She's is like dynamite in this scene. Asserting herself. And you don't even see them. Right, right. You just hear them, which is so unique and interesting. And she's like, You better not pussy out now. Yeah. You fucking <laughs> asshole. This is what we're This is our lives. This is what we're this is what we do. Yeah, it basically implies that their relationship goes beyond professional because I'd say she, so. she wouldn't be talking to him like this otherwise. Although it's interesting if you pay attention, he doesn't really respond to her at a certain point. Yeah. He basically is just off on his own, like, <laughs> you know. Right. Meltdown. Yeah. And she's just like trying to get it, snap him back to reality. Yeah. Because he's like, have you ever slept with a black guy? That's right. It's a big part of it. And then she just is like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Everybody, thanks for coming today. Today we are uh, we're standing on a vacant lot. But tomorrow, thanks to MWOW, the minority women-owned work initiative my father started, this will be a thriving business owned and operated by the women of this ward. And it is my dream to continue that amazing work that my father began because this is the 14th business that has opened in the past three years. As long as there's a mulligan in office, there will be 14 more in my first term, I promise. But can I get an MWOW? MWOW. Can I get an MWOW? MWOW. Right, now, where are my, uh, where are my success stories? We've got some success stories. Mr. Mulligan, you want to talk about the audit that just success came out? Stories? All right, let's, uh, Perhaps some of your constituents would be interested in hearing about it. These women, they, uh, they aren't just in business for themselves. They're in business for the whole community. 
over a million dollars they have generated in the past three years. That's money that goes back into the community. It's money that stays here. Mulligan, an audit by the Cook County Comptroller shows over $5 million in overages from the proposed extension of the Green Line. During that time, you were head of the CTA's commission, a position you were appointed to by your father. You can comment on the contracts you awarded while serving on the commission. I'll see you on the 7th. Thank you for coming out. Come on, Jack, give me a quote I can use. What about the contracts you awarded while serving on the commission? What about the proposed extension of the Green Line? The Green Line should serve the people of this ward. Now, it can bring customers to business like this, and at the end of the day, it can take tired workers home. Without that kind of infrastructure, MWOW is just another empty gesture doomed to fail. You asked me about my father. My father taught me about this neighborhood. He taught me to empower the very people that this city has overlooked for so long. But I see you, 18th, and I'll make sure the rest of Chicago does too. Thank you. Fucking scumbag McRoberts. When he ever just give up, he's been shit on the sole of my family's shoes forever. I wouldn't worry about McRoberts. I'd be more worried about the numbers. Your friend Jamal's no joke. Fucking Jamal. Tell me, have you ever slept with a black guy? Sorry? You heard me. Have you ever slept with a black guy? What does that have to do with Jamal? Or any? Just answer the fucking question. We're in a situation where you could lose everything. You've got the IG's office and the feds breathing down your neck. You got Jamal Manning climbing in the pools, and, and all you're concerned with is whether or not your dick is bigger than his. What are we fighting for, this? I mean, you know how many shootings happened in this city last weekend alone? 34! These people are killing each other. This is not where I want to raise my children. What are we fighting for exactly? I feel suffocated. I'm not, I'm not a mulligan. I'm my mother's son. God rest her soul. The shit she had to put up with from my father? I'm putting up with it, too. That's what adults do, Jack. I never wanted to be in this fucking business, and that's all this is. It's a fucking business. Christ, I just, I just want to be free of this shit. can't take it anymore. Wake the fuck up, Jack. You are not going to pussy out now. What are you going to do, work in a bank? Take the train downtown, punch a clock? This is your life. This is our life. It's what we do. Everyone has a fucking sob story, most of them better than yours. So if the idea is to be mayor one day, you'd better man the fuck up. signs of empty promises. Anybody who thinks different will fool themselves some God's honest truth. Thanks, John. But it, it's an interesting curveball because I think in a typical movie, if you gave us this, you would expect more to the Jack Siobhan dynamic, but there never is. You I never know, really you get, get a clearer picture. It's a bummer. I could have stood to learn a bit more. His dad, Jack's dad, calls her a redheaded paperweight at one point, which I thought was funny. Yeah, Yeah, Duvall is like only in three scenes, I think. And one of them, two of them, he's like completely, actually all three, he's completely unhinged. Yeah. Just like yelling and screaming like a lunatic. Veronica has pressured Bash into getting the names of the other widows from Harry's deceased crew because she never knew them. She didn't know the guys. She doesn't know the who they were with, whatever. Bash is like saying that he's going to get a part-time job like doing security at a bar just so he can continue to be her driver. 
Yeah, you do wonder how much of this is addressed in the original TV series. Yeah. Like, if there's more to it. Like, there, this there's some character. reason why he's so loyal. Yeah, here. he's like, yeah. he owes some sort of debt, and he, I don't know, who knows? Right. Veronica arranges to meet with Alice and Linda. The fourth widow, Amanda, does not attend this meeting. Veronica may or may not be aware that Amanda has a four-month-old baby. We'll circle back to this later. Right. But when she meets with Linda and Alice, she doesn't seem surprised that Amanda's not there. Yeah. So this does lead you down some paths, and we'll, again, circle back to this later. Veronica's plan is to carry out the heist. That's what she wants to do. She does not want to sell the notebook. She wants to do it herself. According to Harry's notes, this heist is going to be $5 million. She could take two of those millions, pay Jamal back, and then be free and clear with $3 million. Doesn't this seem like it's kind of an upscale like bathhouse place for yes. three who doesn't seem like they're particularly in a great financial position right now? That's probably true, but it's possible that whoever picked that place, I'm assuming Veronica just doesn't know anywhere else. That's true. I do like this scene because it feels like it's playing off this kind of classic male gangster thing of meeting in like a, a sauna. sauna. Yeah. yeah. Veronica is able to imply a threat to Alice and Linda. Like, look, the Mannings are after this money. They're after me. That means they'll come after you, too. With the idea being, if they don't know who you are, I would give them your name. Now, this is one of the things that I don't think is a particularly redeeming thing on Veronica. Right. Yeah, I agree, but, I mean... Her back's against the wall. I know. She feels like this is her plan yeah, to get yeah. out of it. So They don't know who you are, but I'm going to tell them. <laughs> I'm taking you down with me. It's a lot to have to carry the weight of this by it. yourself. Yeah. Later, they'll meet up again, and this is where it will be confirmed that Linda and Alice are going to participate as well. And it turns out that they're using the old hideout of their deceased husbands. Like That's the place that they meet a lot. That's where... The continuation of this goes. Which seems like it would be uncomfortable. A little bit, yeah. I mean, Olivia the dog is, like, smelling Harry's jacket and barking. Yeah. Alicia is, like, picking up... Or maybe it's Michelle Rodriguez, but... Uh, The the, gloves Yeah, the gloves. Yeah. There's outdated Playboy centerfolds, like, on the (laughs) walls and stuff. They're just like, oh. (laughs) And it's, like, our hangout. (laughs) Yeah, we have a lot of, like, 1983 (laughs) to 86... Centerfolds just plastered everywhere. Well, those were good years, yeah. (laughs) So they meet up again and agree to do it. Veronica takes the lead. She doles out the jobs. She's like, all right, if we're going to do this, here's what we got to do. She gives the blueprints to Linda and is like, figure out where this is. (laughs) That's the greatest thing. We are going to pull off a heist, but we don't even know where. I know. Yet. (laughs) I know. And she tells Alice to get a van a getaway van and get guns. I think that's all in one go. So two pretty big jobs. Yeah, especially for someone like Alice who seemingly has no idea how to do anything. Right. <laughs> Although that's sort of the fun of the upcoming montages is like her figuring out. Oh, ways she to do gets it. the most done by far. Yeah, that's true. Eventually, Linda's the one that gets the fourth the the getaway driver, that's right. the fourth member. I do love the scope of the story, and this is. I think what separates Widows from other movies like this, where the politics and the crime are colliding, both candidates are tangled up in various 
criminal enterprise. Oh, yeah. And there is sort of a social commentary about the race element because Jamal's criminal background is more in the forefront and more up for public scrutiny, I would say. Right. Whereas Jax is considered like white collar crime. It's more concealed. And yes, there is an investigation and it is possible that he gets taken down from it at some point. But yeah, it's... It's considered, I guess, like a classier version of crime for whatever reason, even though the money that he's defrauding belongs to the taxpayers. It belongs to somebody. It's not just money to be stolen. It's somebody's money. Alice jumps into the world of sugaring, I guess. I don't know what they call that. Sugar babying. To everyone's surprise, Lucas Haas shows up in the movie. Yeah, her first client is a guy named David, played by Lucas Haas. Very quickly, they're going to establish an exclusive relationship, which works out well for her, who was pretty nervous and didn't really want to do this. Yeah, I feel like you could do a lot worse, really, than this dude. Yeah, he basically is like, look, I used to be married. Now I'm divorced. I work 80 hours a week. I want to have a relationship where it's only the good stuff and we just fast forward to that. Like, yeah. I don't want to deal with all this other shit, which must be nice, really, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a, he's very successful, so he's calling a lot of shots. And this is basically a dream for Alice because she, like I said, was not very convinced of this yeah. plan. Like, I don't think she really wanted to have to do this. So if she can just have one guy instead of like a bunch of dudes and trying out all kinds of different dates and different shit. She's just like, weren't you in Brick? (laughs) We get the introduction of another character named Belle, played by Cynthia Erivo. And at first, you're just like, what is is happening right now? You're like almost an hour into the movie, and then all of a sudden there's scenes where she's like working at a hair salon. It feels like you're getting character development here, a backstory. Yeah, she's working at a hair salon. She's running to different jobs, babysitting gigs, but legitimately running. Yeah, <laughs> like her running, it seems like a big part of it during a certain segment. Eventually, we're gonna find out that she babysits for Linda when Linda has to go out to meet up at right. odd hours with Veronica and Alice. And I was watching some interviews with Steve McQueen, and they were talking about this in particular. And none of the women in the TV sh- series had kids. Right. The original 1983 version. And he was like, it was very important to me to introduce that into this story. And so we're going to find out the story about Veronica's son. But Linda has kids. Yep. And Belle has kids. And this whole concept of childcare and how McQueen would observe women who made lives of this, where they would have to take their own kids to their mothers to have them watch their kids while they would then trek somewhere to watch uh, yeah, someone else's kids. Right, that's right. That's exactly the case with Belle. Belle has her own kids and yet has to run off to watch other people's kids. It's a good hourly rate. And so that brings in some more elements into the whole thing going on in this movie where it comes to class, structure, wealth disparity, gender issues, and the domestic issues that are tied in with being a woman and especially a woman in this sort of scenario sure and at this point bell's not involved in that scenario but obviously that builds to that jetem goes to see bobby welsh to try to get information as to what's going on 
he's basically like, why the fuck did Harry steal from us? And he's trying to figure out what's going on. And it, that's the first time, the first hint that there's like a specific reason at play right. as to why the money was stolen from the Mannings. Because to that point, you're just like, oh, that's just who it was. Yeah, yeah. No reason. Just end of story. They knew that they had money and they took it. But now you're like, well, wait a minute. If Jatem is attacking this Bobby Welsh dude, he like knocks him out of his wheelchair. He's like stabbing him with a small knife. Well, it's kind of weird to watch because you're like, well, why would they suspect that there's more to this other than this was criminal money that they would have an opportunity to steal? I guess I'm wrong because there's a scene at Harry's funeral where not really in attendance, but watching the funeral is Jamal and Mm -hmm. Jatem and they're talking about it and they're like, all these years, we never had any problem with Harry. I guess they, you know, they were aware of each other right. in the criminal underworld. Why did he hit us now? What's going on? Like, yeah, yeah. They, they're suspicious of something. That something's up. Yeah. So I guess that's why they think that there's something going on, and that this Bobby guy knows information. Does he eventually give them any information? I can't even really remember. Well, he tells about the notebook. Yes, Jatem that Veronica has the notebook. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And within the notebook, I think what he's trying to tell Jatem is within the notebook, it has the details of that crime. So you might be able to figure out why or whatever. But what Jatem actually hears is you also get the next heist. Jatem, this is where he's starting to maybe go into business for himself a little bit. Possibly, yeah. I think at some point over the course of the film, Jatem figures out, and by some point, I mean early on, yeah. that Veronica is going to try to do this heist. And so he's like, well, if I keep watching her and they actually do pull it off, then I can just rob them. Right, right. Then I don't have to do any of the work. I think he puts that together at some point. Oh, yeah. Why else would he be watching no, the night that, of the debate definitely. and all that stuff? No question. One of the big elements of this movie that, really stands out is the Hans Zimmer score. And when you couple that with the setting being Chicago, it does have that feeling of the dark night. Even like cash being lit on fire. Yeah. There is like a very Nolan-esque feel to some of this movie. Some of the shots seem similar too, a little bit. Yeah. The score like really amps up over some of these montages, like the montages of the women trying to do their deeds that Veronica has assigned them. Alice's journey in this movie is very interesting. We know about her relationship with Florek, her her deceased husband. We know about her relationship with her mother. And she does let herself get bullied by Veronica at first. And the evolution of that relationship by the end of the movie is very interesting to me. And it actually stands out maybe most among the four women as far as like the journeys. Okay. Because she stands up for herself. That's true. Not only to Veronica, but by the end of the movie, she does something particularly brave. I maybe stupid, but you know what I mean? Like right. she really inserts herself in a way to seemingly protect Veronica. It's just a completely different person than the person we're seeing at the beginning of the movie with a black eye. Who That's seems true. Unable yeah, to she do probably anything. has the most full arc. So there's a montage of her buying a van. The whole thing with her buying the guns is funny, where she pretends to be a mail-order bride. Yes. I think that's pretty intuitive. Uh, uh, yeah, right. That's a pretty fun sequence. Now, one of the 
rougher moments of the movie that's like almost hard to watch is that scene where Linda is trying to track down the architect who designed the safe room, the blueprints that they have. Yeah, yeah. And she pretends to be someone who works for this company. That... I know. Wow. This scene seems so random. Yeah, I think it's just about grief yeah, yeah. and the strong emotions. But yeah, it is. It's it's that like connecting with someone who feels the same thing as it's you. It's very difficult to watch. So she goes to this house to find this woman who is the architect. She introduces herself as someone from this company. This guy answers the door. It's her husband. She goes inside. This woman, this architect's husband, is like, I know you're lying because everyone at this company knows that my wife is dead. She right. died like a few months ago. And it's sort of like that sucker punch to the gut moment for Linda because she's just like, oh, fuck, what the fuck have I just done? She's not a con woman. She's right. not a, really a criminal. She's not used to this shit. She can't just she's not quick turn her emotions. Yeah, she can't just like, like turn her emotions off and roll with it. It hits her in a way because she just lost her husband only a few weeks earlier. And then they do Which have she this- voices immediately yeah and then they're both crying and then all of a sudden they're like making out yeah i think i was reading michelle rodriguez this is 18 years into her career i think her debut was in girl fight which came out like 2000 that's right wow this was the first time that she met with like an acting coach because she just wanted to know how to approach this particular scene yeah because it's such a strange emotional scene all right there's an uneasiness to it. Yeah, and I think if it was handled the wrong way, the audience might laugh or something. Not laugh. Not necessarily because it's funny, but like laugh due to it being uncomfortable yeah. or not know how to react to it. It's just like so strange and weird. As an audience member, you're not sure what to do. You're looking away in embarrassment. Before, I'm talking about before they're kissing because you're just like, oh, no. Right. Like that you it can't is, even deal with it. Right. Yeah. Oof. But long story short, she doesn't get the answers that Veronica's looking for. Although I do, that's the whole thing. Like her dynamic, Veronica, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with her and Alice, but like she zeroes in on bullying Alice. And Alice does so much. Alice, this whole effing heist just doesn't happen without Alice. Alice got the van and got the guns. And her only setback was that Alice can't drive. And so Veronica like flips out. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) You're ruining everything. And yet Linda kind of I got doesn't the car. do anything. I got the guns. <laughs> yeah, Linda doesn't do anything. It doesn't get nearly as much shit from her. I don't know. No, she's just got an intimidating presence. It's fucking Michelle Rodriguez. It's Anna Lucia from season two of Lost. That's true. Yeah. So out of the blue, Amanda emerges. You'll remember this is Carrie Coon. This is the other widow. That's right. And she meets with Veronica at a diner. And there definitely is, like, an awkward tension to it. It's not something you would necessarily notice the first time around. But once you get the full story and once you're watching it maybe on a second viewing, third viewing, you do start to pick up on something. And we're going to talk about this more in a minute. We're going to circle back to it. But I don't know that every element of Harry's life that we don't know about yet that turns out to be a surprise I don't know that all of it is unknown to Veronica. That's yeah. all I'm, I'm saying. I think that there's tension going both ways here. Do you get that vibe at all? It feels that way. I think so. When she meets with 
Linda and Alice the first time and Amanda's not a part of it. She doesn't seem like broken up about it. I would agree with that. Maybe when she got that list of names from Bass, she was like, this fucking bitch. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. There is a subtext, I think, to some of this well, stuff. Well, I try to like build the history of Harry's crew. Linda and Alice seem like maybe they hung out a decent amount. I don't know. Because they kind of talk. I, I don't know. There's... It's hard. I mean, it could have like been just that they got there first that day and they Maybe. hit it off a little bit. But yeah, you There's, could be that they knew each it, other. It, I don't know. It's not laid out for you, but it feels that way to me. But Veronica, definitely not. I don't know. It's hard to figure out what level of awareness they had around each other. So in pursuit of Harry's notebook, Jatem and some of Jamal's other men show up at Bash's apartment. Was the uh, door locked or... <laughs> just walk in. I think they just like break in. Don't oh, they, they just kick, kick the, door the door open? In. Yeah, okay. And they kill him. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like it's pleasant. Either. Kind of a bummer. No, it seems pretty terrible, actually. David, Alice's sugar daddy, is a real estate executive, and he will ultimately be able to identify the blueprints from Harry's notebook as the safe room built inside the Mulligan's home. So this is when the audience first learns that Harry died robbing from Manning while also planning on robbing his opponent, Mulligan. So Harry is even more intertwined with all of this shit than we originally thought. Oh, yeah. It's sort of jarring when you, I know. you're like, okay, so what is the connection now? All these people in the Chicago criminal underworld connected. But Veronica's crew is shrinking. Veronica originally planned on Alice driving. Alice can't drive doesn't know how so then she was gonna enlist bash yeah to take her place but now he's been murdered and so there's this excellent scene when veronica learns that bash has been murdered and she shows up at alice's house unexpectedly which is completely out of character because they have not been to each other's homes yeah and and veronica i feel like more so than the others kind of like draws a line like making our relationship is professional yes yeah and she's freaking out. Alice is in the middle of fucking David. She thinks it's her mother. <laughs> it's not her mother. Jackie Weaver's not in the movie the rest of right, the time. Right. She's only in two scenes. Yeah, this is where <laughs> Veronica does have like some fucking balls on her. She shows up at Alice's house unannounced, interrupts what she was doing, clear this cri- place out, criticizes yeah. what she's doing, <laughs> right? Then yells at her for like fucking something up or being stupid, and then slaps her. And this is when Alice like slaps her back oh, and she's I know. like, I'm not dealing with this. She's like, I'm seven foot eight. Everyone is slapping me. I, have you looked at me? I'm t- it's time I started asserting myself. Yeah. Although she only weighs like 90 pounds. Yeah, but still, come on. <laughs> she could throw a mean right hook. Yeah, she is so tall that it's yeah. it's hard to even like frame some that of these wingspan. shots. What's that? That wingspan. They have to set up some of the shots sometimes where, like, all of the women are clearly standing in different places to make it look right. like they're closer. She's jarringly tall. It's noticeable in every role that she's in. Yeah. I, in every movie, she just looks taller than everyone else on screen. Well, that's what you get. I mean, yeah. she's taller than most men. I mean, she's just tall. Yeah. Listen, I'm not against it. Okay. So, finally, we're here. The big moment. We're about an hour and 20 minutes into the movie. Over halfway, but yeah, still a lot left. And this is the twist, the the big reveal. I have to say that certainly the first time I saw this movie, I did not see this coming at all. Same. But 
I am going to run through some things here from a website in a minute, and we're going to talk about the possibility of clues. But let's lay it out. So now that Veronica's reeling, she's trying to figure out they need another person on this crew. She has this all planned out. They need a certain amount of people to go in and actually retrieve the cash. Because that's one thing you might not think about. It's and heavy. I do think that the movie does lay that out pretty right. well. When you have $5 million in cash, it's heavy. There's yeah, a yeah. lot of it. It's not just like, let's have a backpack and right, one right. of us go in and get it. It's got to be a whole thing. So they need another person to drive outside. Veronica shows up at Amanda's home unannounced. Veronica's in search of a driver, possibly someone that Amanda's deceased husband, Jimmy, knew. Because I guess Jimmy was the driver. I don't know. Okay, yeah. Although it does seem like Harry was driving a That's lot. right, he was, yeah. Amanda seems nervous, unsure. She has this crying baby. The baby's very young. Amanda goes to tend to the baby. When left alone, Veronica notices Harry's flask in the home, which I probably didn't realize what we were supposed to look at. No, because do you know about his flask, really? I guess in one flashback, it's there. It it's gets very mentioned. beginning, very beginning, yeah. I picked up on it more that... That Brian dude is like one more shot out of Harry's flask or whatever. Like they do talk about the flask. Yeah, and you see, like she specifically like does a shot for him, like out of the flask when he gets out of the shower during those early flashbacks. I think they actually do it again. They show you that scene again after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to pay attention though. But look, even if you're not the way they shoot it, you understand what's happening here. That. This is something. Yeah, they linger on this flask, and then, so maybe it's slowly dawning on the audience, at least some of them. And then Veronica, who has her little dog, Olivia, with her, who she pretty much carries everywhere. Her suspicions are confirmed when Olivia starts freaking out, barking and pawing vigorously at a closed door, potentially indicating Olivia is is familiar with the person behind it. I'd say so, yes. Veronica flees the scene without a confrontation. Leaves abruptly. And then it is revealed to the audience that, yes, it's Harry behind the door, still very much alive. Done. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a big yes whoa moment that I don't know if it's obvious to anyone. I, I don't know that there's really much, but we'll talk about it. Do they lay out any clues at all? For fans of Gillian Flynn, a lot of her books work this way, where all three of them essentially... They build towards some sort of a twist. Right in the middle, yeah. No, not always at the middle. Okay. Gone Girl's the middle. Yeah. Sharp Objects and Dark Places, it's at the end, That's basically. true. That's right. But, yeah, it's some kind of a big thing. But this big twist in Widows is actually from the original show. Okay. Which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So this is not an invention of McQueen or Flynn. I'm learning a lot about the original series on this podcast says here, I'm, g- I'm getting this information from time.com. In a recent interview with Time, Flynn said that she usually keeps a notebook to keep track of the clues in her mysteries to make sure that if readers go back in search of clues, they're all in the text. Quote, I don't remember doing that with this, she says. It was truly meant to be a surprise. But she and McQueen still did drop several hints that Harry might still be alive throughout the movie here's a list and i'm going to read some of them okay just so we can sort of discuss them okay so the shootout after a robbery goes wrong harry's crew races away in a van with the police in pursuit harry pulls the van into a garage so that they can switch cars and get away 
but as they open the garage door, police cars are waiting outside. They begin to shoot, and the van explodes and flips over, killing everyone inside, or so we think. The van exploding in such a dramatic fashion is our first clue that something is amiss. I agree with that. I did feel like, why did that happen? Right. Although I do think on the first time you're watching it, you could just chalk that up to like, well, movies are crazy sometimes. Sure, sure. You could. And and enough time passes that it's like, you don't keep thinking it. On initial viewing, I'm like, okay, that didn't seem right. But then you quickly move on. As we're going to find out later in a flashback, Harry placed a gas tank behind the van to ensure the vehicle would blow up and the men inside would be killed. Right. Okay, so now here's where we get into some of the tenuous stuff between Veronica and Amanda. So Veronica didn't expect Amanda to show up. After she's threatened by Jamal and realizes she has to come up with the money her husband owes, Veronica asks all the widows to meet her at a spa. When she arrives, only two of them, Alice and Linda, are there. Veronica mentions that she invited a third woman, Amanda. When Alice and Linda ask who Amanda is, Veronica replies, let's hope it doesn't matter. Considering that their crew needs a fourth member... Right. Now, this is where I think time might be blowing it because it does seem as if Veronica was planning on Alice driving. So it's unclear in the text of the film if Veronica thought they would need a fourth person all along or not. Because when she reacts to finding out that Alice can't drive, that's when they start recruiting a fourth person, but not before that. So what? I mean, were her and Linda going to carry the five million? I don't know. Yeah. But. If you're going to use that as a clue, then you need to do it in a different order because, she, again, she never says that she's looking for a fourth person right. until she finds out Alice can't drive. The but thing anyway. that seems like a clue is – it's not a clue. Why this hesitancy around Amanda from her perspective? Considering that recruiting as a fourth member, it would be strange for Veronica not to care that one of the women didn't show up. After all, she is threatening to blackmail the other two into pulling off the heist. That does make sense. If yeah, she's going true. to that extent – She's just letting this other one off the hook? Right. Does Veronica perhaps already suspect that her husband, Harry, is having an affair with Amanda? Even if Veronica doesn't yet know her husband is alive, which she definitely doesn't, she still may not want to come face-to-face with his lover. Alternatively, Bash could have potentially told Veronica that Amanda had a baby, so Veronica didn't want Amanda to become involved. It's giving you two possibilities as to why she's just letting Amanda off the hook. Yeah, yeah. But when you think about that diner scene, when they do finally talk to each other, it does explain the, the tension. It is weird. Absolutely. Because yeah. it seems like they're fighting about something, even though it wouldn't really make sense to. Right. And part of it is, Amanda, when you go back and once you know the story, when you go back, you're like, Amanda does seem to have this weird familiarity with Harry that maybe she shouldn't have. Yeah. Like, why is she just saying this stuff? I would agree. The timing of Amanda's phone call. Amanda finally does call Veronica and ask to meet up, likely at Harry's behest. Because I think Harry starts to realize that Veronica's just not selling the notebook. She's fucking his plan up. The timing of this phone call is an important narrative clue. Right before Veronica is asleep, dreaming about her relationship with Harry, both the good times and the bad, audiences find out for the first time in this scene that the two lost a child. So yeah, there is a dream sequence where we see that they had a child who died, although... It's not till later we find out how. Right. Harry says to Veronica, don't make having a child with you my only regret. Pretty horrible thing to say, by the way. Veronica shoots back. Well, you don't even know why he said something like that. Right. 
and then you f- you figure out that there is like this deep seated reasoning for this that's f- even more fucked up. Veronica shoots back. Maybe you should have had a child with someone else. Then he'd still be alive. Not into the fact that their son died because of racist assumptions right. by the policeman who shot him during a routine traffic stop, which we haven't got to yet. Veronica wakes up to the phone call from Amanda, who we later find out does have a child with Harry, which we'll get to in a minute, but that's sort of the implication of this screaming baby. Sure. They never actually even confirm that. Right, right. In it's the just movie. like, it, right. Like you said, it's implied. The call interrupting those memories connects Veronica's greatest heartache, the loss of her son, to Harry's affair. The death drove a wedge between them. Okay, so the conversation between Veronica and Amanda, like I said, there's a palpable tension between the two. Veronica begins to talk about Harry, saying that he, quote, never made a mistake before. His meticulous notebook supports the idea that he's a perfectionist. Perhaps Veronica has already begun to suspect that he did not make a mistake the night he, quote, died, but rather faked his death. Don't think that at all. Wow. Stretch, maybe? Yeah, don't think that at all. I think that there is definitely some tension. Okay, so now this is the one that addresses the other thing. This is the last one I'm going to read out of this list because I think they just get less good as time goes on. But this one addresses what you were talking about with Bobby. The phone call from the bowling alley. Yeah. When Bobby checks up on Veronica and is like, hey – did you sell this notebook yet? And she lies. Right. So after Jatem beats up Bobby, Harry's contact at the bowling alley, Bobby calls Veronica. He asks her if she has traded the notebook yet. Veronica lies and says yes. That's good, says Bobby, as he looks over to a mysterious figure that we can't see. So there is a guy. I was like, I was sort of confused when I was reading oh, this. Yeah. But yeah, you see over the shoulder of somebody, but you don't see their head really. Right. You just see there's a person standing there. And I think the way the movie's playing, I don't know, your last memory is Jatem. Yeah, you think that he's right. being pressured to make this call by duress, although you don't know why. You just, right. That's just the vibe of it. You're like, yeah, well, yeah. what would even be the benefit for Jatem? But that's kind of who you think. Likely this mystery man is Harry trying to protect Veronica by convincing her to hand over his plans to the, rob the Mulligan family to Jamal and Jatem. Now, the one thing that is never confirmed, though, is if this would have worked. Right. That seems crazy that Harry's idea that her giving them the notebook would have let her off the hook. Well, maybe he didn't know that it would get this serious. Like, yeah. maybe he thought, well, it's possible that this could happen, so I'll get out. This will be like a backup plan, but then it turns bad pretty quick. Jamal is showing up to Veronica's apartment himself and dealing with you know what I mean like right, it, right. it just turns dangerous right away. Oh yeah, but yeah, I don't know. The notebook doesn't seem like it would cut it. No, I don't think two million dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like walking into like Pawn Stars with that notebook and being like, "It's worth two million dollars." Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, "It's not worth anything." Right? They just laugh you out of there. <laughs> Best thing I can do is a buck fifty. Yeah. Final offer. So, yeah, I think that the implication is that the baby that Amanda has is Harry's, that he's trying to start a new life. We don't know why yet. Not that there's ever really a justification for it, for all of the shit that Harry's done. <laughs> really? Yes. But we don't know the backstory, like the motivation. We just think, like, okay, well, I guess he got tired of one woman and is moving to another. But It there... just seems like a dick, yeah. Yeah, there is, like, a whole story. This kicks off a wild flashback showing Harry double-crossing his crew by setting up the getaway van to be blown up by the police. 
There seems to be a reference to some assistance from a detective and a medical examiner to help pull this off. Like, there's other people involved. Don't see enough of it for it to, like, fully land how messed up this really is that this guy is killing his friends. Yeah. I don't know. Well, maybe they weren't his friends. It was just professional. That's true. And the stunner here is that this flashback is all cut between the events of the heist and a conversation between Harry and Mulligan, and we find out that the two of them are in league together to ruin Jamal's campaign, and that is the motivation for stealing the money. <laughs> You're kind of like, okay. It's <laughs> it's a multi-layered thing. It, yeah, it's a coming together. Harry wants to get away with right. his new life. This is an opportunity. He's a wanted man, potentially. He's not wanted, but there's investigations. Sure. He's always He's a known criminal. Yeah, he's always potentially going to get busted. What better way to get just get out from under this and start over than faking his own death? And it's a win-win because Mulligan can help him. He can facilitate the detective and the medical examiner that are going to help push the story. Right. And it's going to fuck up this threat to Mulligan's attempt to be elected. And I guess his concern is that the redrawing of the districts. He's thinking like, okay, well, this man and guy could beat me potentially. So why not just take his money away? It'll be like I'm running uncontested. Obviously, this realization that sent Veronica running out of Amanda's house just has her reeling. But the long and the short of it is time is still running out with the Mannings. So she doesn't even have time to really come to grips with what she's learned, this horrible thing that's happened, that her husband has faked his own death, murdered his partners, and is starting up with another woman. Yeah, yeah. We get the flashback that confirms what I was just talking about to their son, Marcus, Harry and Veronica's son. Yeah, I mean, that's a disturbing sequence. He's pulled over by the police and then shot when reaching for the glove box. He was he pulled a U-turn because he was on the phone with Harry at the time who was telling him to come back. Right. Because so, there was a gift for Veronica. It was like a, a an anniversary gift. So this puts a lot of strain on the relationship. Yeah. For multiple reasons. Harry is kind of at fault. One of the jarring images of that scene is, if you notice, the wall on the building okay. next to where the car is, is pictures of Obama. Oh, yeah. Which is Hope. Right, right. As he's being shot by the police. I do think that... If you look at the gravestone, he was killed in 2008. I don't think that this movie takes place in 2018. I don't think it's been 10 years. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't know how many years it's supposed to have been. I saw one plot summary somewhere that said that this story takes place in 2008. I think they were just getting that from the tombstone and getting confused and thinking that that was Harry's tombstone. Yeah, yeah. Because it says, you know, whatever to 2008. But, yeah, well, (laughs) to say that it... It drove a wedge between the two. It certainly was something that they didn't. They had a hard time coming back from. Yeah, I think even when a child dies under a nonviolent way, like an sure. accidental death or an illness or something, it, it leads to divorce a lot of the times. Marriages sort of crumble under the strain of something like that. And so when you add in the whole race element to it, where it seems to be like a constant presence in their lives... Even if 99% of their life it's not an issue, it it's still always there. It's and always then it, now it's been everything. exasperated yeah. because of this. Solved our problem. What's this? This is Belle. 
She's fast, she's smart, and she can drive. Come on, we can't do this, the three of us. We need a driver. This is not your place. Please ask her to leave. I'm standing here. You can talk to me. I don't know you. You don't have to. I'm happy to leave right now. Wait, we need a driver. Your girl's happy to split your cut? Split our cut? It's equal or nothing. You vouch for her? I don't require a vouch. You're gonna need another gun. I got my own. You need to watch how you talk to me. If you're in, we need to get you started right away. Finally, the matter of the driver is solved when Linda just asks Belle. <laughs> Not a without lot of reservations. Approval. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think Veronica is this strong character. She's taking the initiative. She's putting it together. But just as you said about Alice, like this wouldn't happen without her. I think like this is Linda taking matters into her own hands and being like, you know what? We're running out of time. This is definitely the Linda moment. Linda comes forward. We with have to do this. <laughs> what are we waiting for? If we're doing it, let's do it. And if we're giving up, then let's shut up and never talk about it again. Sure. Because Veronica does bristle. She's like, who the fuck is you this? You said shit or get off the pot. Okay, so now once Veronica accepts the fact that they don't have much choice and Belle is part of the team, it's recon time. Veronica visits the Mulligan home under the guise of asking Jack for protection from the Mannings, which he refuses to really participate in. Right. And is thus able to case the premises while Bell simultaneously scans the outdoor security. And this is where the score from Hans Zimmer is like really kicking in again. Yep. It's got like almost that feeling of the beginning of Drive, the movie, that, you know, like that like repetitive beat where you're just like escalating this. It's like, okay, this is a big. Cosmic gumbo, as Santa Claus would call it, <laughs> from Detective Crashmore. <laughs> There's so much ingredients being thrown into this stew of this movie, but okay. finally we're like, okay, well, here's the, the heist. Yeah, They're yeah. planning it. They know where they have to go because of David. Finally put it all together. We have all the pieces. Yeah, and the things that we're sort of glossing over and, and jumping past are the tentacles of the political corruption where the mulligans are taking money from the hair salon that bell works at which is like a black woman owned business which is like one of the initiatives that like the mm -hmm. mulligans have been pushing but it's really like a a little bit of a scam where they're taking they're skimming the profits or whatever as like the payback but probably like a huge interest loan kind of a thing yeah yeah it all sort of connects like there's all these tentacles like weaving in and out of all of this stuff this is where you come into the movie when Veronica blackmails <laughs> the CEO of the security Mike company. Mike McClintock? Employed by Mulligan. And yes, it is Matt Walsh, <laughs> Matt, Mike McClintock from Veep. Just unbelievable casting that he's the dude. Oh, I know. So they blackmail him for the code to the safe in the Mulligan house using incriminating photos of the guy cheating on his wife with his niece. Yikes. That were left in Harry's notebook, which I love is like a little detail that they just throw in there. It's not just like cheating on his wife. It's with his niece. I know. And also there's an insinuation that this same blackmail tactic has been used multiple times on him. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yeah, he's like, this is the third time it's been hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. We broke it up. Right. 
I like to think that in canon, it's like his blood niece. Like they're re- actually like related by blood. Oh, I think yeah. You can't interpret it any other way. Well, no, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Why would like, you? If it's like his wife's siblings' kid, then they're I, not related I by know. blood. But <laughs> yeah, it's like his brother's daughter. It's like some Hellraiser shit. Oh boy, <laughs> come to daddy. Yeah. So they get the codes from this guy because he caves. And the polls have shifted. All along, it looked like Jack was going to win this election. He was up big at the beginning of the movie, but now all of a sudden Jamal seems to be ahead, and Jack approaches him again, this time offering a deal, basically like, I don't even know what his deal is exactly. It's sort of hard to even figure out what the benefit to Jamal would be, but I guess it would be like ensuring that you win, meaning I'm going to pull back my campaign completely. I'll concede. Essentially, without publicly conceding. If you really let me like pull the strings behind the scenes and you get to be the face of it, it's like, I I don't know why you would really take that deal. Right. But yeah, it's a huge shift. And I mean, we're skipping over all the parts with like the minister and some of the other political aspects of it. I will say that the minister is good in a small role, though. Oh, yeah. I like that that stuff, too. But some of this stuff's just I know there's a lot packed in here. I just think it's worth calling out because that dude is like really good in a small role. Yeah, and there is definitely some things that remind you of The Wire. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. In that scenario in Baltimore, it's an African-American mayor, and it's like never been a white mayor, and then you have like the whole Carchetti campaign and That's all that right. stuff. Yeah. This time, it's sort of the opposite. It's like a long-term nepotism deal with this family that's held this position for a long, long time, going back generations, and the idea of, of sort of what the Mannings are running on is like, It'll be the first time that we have an African-American in this position. The heist is set to take place the night of a debate between Jack Mulligan and Jamal Manning. It begins with Bell creating a disturbance down the street from Jack's home by throwing firecrackers into cars and setting off car alarms. That's an awesome kickoff to an action sequence. Immediately puts you on your toes it kind of like sets things off with like yeah because they don't loud distraction they don't explain it to you right right you don't know what's coming yeah just like okay this is the night i guess and this is how they're doing it the diversion draws the outside security detail away masked the other women proceed into the house using a taser they stun the inside security guard and use zip ties to bind him i will say for a crew that's never done this before really seamless yeah if you're going over two hours, which they are, and I do think the original cut of this film was like over three hours. Oh, but wow. I do think that you probably could have had a scene where they like practiced Train, this or something. Yeah. Just show us them doing a few of these moves so that we buy the We needed like a montage, like doing push ups, carrying like the wheelbarrow full of bricks. <laughs> like Belle, I could buy doing this, but she's not the one doing it. Right, right. Because she's like, she's so the one that's looking. a proven athlete. Yeah. Although I think when they like, hopped the fence to get into the property alice just like stepped over it oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the big show getting right. into the ring <laughs> anytime alice walks into a room it's like well <laughs> it's the big show she's just like doing the knockout punch to people <laughs> veronica linda and alice reach the safe upstairs i do like the moment where Veronica keeps putting the security code in, and it's wrong, and it's wrong, and it's wrong, and it turns out it's upside down. I know, that's funny. (laughs) Legit laugh for me. And they're able to retrieve the money. On their way out, Jack's father, Tom, who we haven't seen in a while, Robert Duvall's character, 
appears with a gun. The women put their hands up. He unmasks Veronica. I'd be like, well, what do you have? You guys have guns. They do give up their guns pretty easily. Three guns to one. And then when Alice tries to grab for his weapon, he shoots Alice, wounding her. And this is the moment I was referring to. The gun is pointed at Veronica. Alice just intervenes. Yeah. She's become this completely different person. She's, like, so assertive now. Right. And in a way, you could say she, like, takes this bullet for Veronica. Absolutely. But, I mean, it is one of these things where it's, like, it seems obvious. It's, like, they have to do something here. Someone needs to try to overtake this dude. Yeah. Linda shoots and kills Tom. Veronica ends up dragging Alice's bag as well as carrying her own. Alice seems like she'd be a a hard one to cart out of there wounded. Well, it's her shoulder. Yeah, I know, but you gotta do the whole move where you're supporting some of her weight there. I I mean, she walks out on her own. Oh, okay. Yeah. She has to be helped to her feet. Yeah. I mean, her legs work. Yeah. By the time they go to the hospital, she's like... In rough well, they're, yeah, they're yeah, implying yeah. that she's losing like a lot of blood. The women escape and load the money into the getaway van where Belle is waiting. But Jatem is there too. He's been carefully monitoring them all along. He holds Belle at gunpoint and flees in their van with the money. Just leaves them all on the road. Yeah. And I think the way that McQueen chooses to reveal the next part is cool. We stay oh, in yeah. the van with Jatem. This is one of the coolest shots of the whole movie. Rather than see what the women are doing. He's listening to his brother on a radio broadcast of the debate, and then all of a sudden the women, now driving a separate car, ram him from behind, causing him to lose control, crash, and killing him. They retrieve the money and then get Alice to a hospital where Linda stays with her. So... There Which, is a lot of questions about the second say, vehicle. Seems, and even the hospital situation. They show up. Well, she says it was a drive-by. It's Chicago. Okay. No <laughs> que- No believable. more questions. Okay. Well, what are they going to say? Yeah. The doctors have to treat well, them. I, I, I'm not saying that, that she doesn't get treated. I'm saying like this doesn't tie back to any investigation, though. It doesn't seem suspect at all. Well, at one point earlier when... Mulligan was like on his rant about how many shootings there were in the city. Yeah, I okay, mean, fair. I think there's right. stray gunfire sometimes. Okay. I think the less details you provide, I, I think the police... Did they do the ballistics of Robert Duvall's gun? Probably not. Okay. Then it checks out. I don't know. I guess they would just assume that... I don't know what they would assume. I don't know. Let's not poke. Yeah, they would be able to tell that Duvall's gun had fired, but I guess they would just assume that... Well, we'll get to why they could tie up who killed Tom later. That's true. But it's part of what Veronica was saying about why they could get away with this, because no one would expect it from them. That's true. Yeah, You have this blonde, tall woman come in who super skinny. Right. That's right. They don't don't think that she just came from a heist. Yeah, they're going to assume she's a victim. She just got shot by a stray bullet. They're not going to question it that much. Now... That's part of like the racial component of the movie too, because if it had been like a black man that got shot, that's uh, true. And, uh, it was yep. unexplained. They might question it more. They might not treat that person like the victim. But somebody comes in like Alice, this probably blonde woman from that fucking place that Wonder Woman is from. <laughs> yeah, an Amazonian. Yeah. Veronica returns alone to the reappropriated hideout location and starts unloading the money when Harry appears. And so this is the big confrontation that we missed out on 
back at Amanda's house. Oh, yeah. We didn't get it. She ran out of there before it could happen. Boy, w- what a scene that would have been, though, if it happened there. <laughs> yeah, I just know. Just, like, middle of the day, like, what's up? You're alive. <laughs> <laughs> Harry aims to take the money. One million of it will be used to keep Mulligan quiet about his fake death. We learned of that financial arrangement during their initial flashback. But it's just giving one million of Mulligan's money back to him, right? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I don't know why he just doesn't give him the one million from the initial robbery, but he just doesn't seem to want to do that. No, no. Come on. We should point out that oh, the money does doesn't actually money. burn right, up. Right, yes. He does take the money with him, too. Yeah. We find that out during the reveal flashback. This is where Harry lays it out, the revelation. I mean, there is so much anger under the surface. And it's justified in the sense that both of them can be angry at what happened to Marcus. Oh, they're, sure. They're both going to have feelings of rage, and they're not going to always know what to do with it, but obviously... I don't think Harry's actions are justifiable, though. Yeah, obviously the way he chooses to process those emotions are wrong (laughs) questionable at least and so their lives have disintegrated the relationship with veronica disintegrated and now he wants to start over with amanda a new family a new baby yep it should also be pointed out the significance of the five million dollars this is the money that the mulligans embezzled or took as part of the the green line initiative the thing that the reporter was asking about so it's it is like omar stealing from drug dealers in the wire he's not going to be able to really report this as a theft yeah yeah because if you say five million dollars was stolen there's gonna be questions five million dollars in cold hard cash yeah why did you have five million dollars in cash but i was always just like never spent a dollar though just five million even well, I think that's just to yeah, make oh, it easy. Okay, yeah. yeah, it's not exact. Right. It was meant to be simple. Why couldn't you just sell the book to Jamal and leave it at that, Ronnie? You're not supposed to be here. You left me alone, you evil bastard. You want to start a new life with your, your, your new son, your new white, happy family. I couldn't save him, Ronnie! I couldn't save us. I, I had to save me. Me. Fucking coward. I need that money, Ronnie. I need the money. Harry knocks Veronica to the ground and then goes to shoot her, but she gets to him first. According to Matt, this is makes her a bad person for <laughs> shooting him. <laughs> really, the thing I was thinking of is her having some degree of not exactly being a hero is just pulling these other two women into it and being like, all right, well, I'm going to give them your names. She doesn't say that, but it is it's, implied. It's implied. Yes. No. I'm glad Harry goes down here. I love that he's just like, why couldn't you just give them the notebook? I, again, I can't he get over He still thinks this. that's going to work. Right. <laughs> that was going to. Well, he certainly did not most. expect that this is where this was heading. Yeah. That she was going to do this. Right. But she did. And that's sort of what the movie's about. Defying expectations. Not 
confining yourself to what other people think of you. Yeah, it's weird. If you had a longer story with Harry, because it is like so crazy. I don't know how conflicted he is when he is like going to kill her, but this is someone who you spent so much of your life with. You had a son together who died, and uh, they do make him. That's why there's the pause that yeah. gives her a chance because he just is like he's sort of building himself up to like he has to do it, now right? Okay, she knows For that this... he's alive. Yeah, yeah. Veronica then plants the gun used to kill Tom Mulligan on Harry because she took that gun from Linda. Yep, and then burns the getaway car. We then learn that Jack ultimately wins the election as alderman of the 18th Ward due to what seems to be a sympathy vote following his father's murder. Although I did think it's weird that it's not really mentioned that Jamal's brother died on the very same night. I know, that would be a weird election like wrinkle. And it leads to a lot of questions because even though he did get a decent amount away from the house, it's still within like minutes. I know. And people aren't like, that's really fucking weird. Are they related in some way? It's, How did he crash this van into a fucking divider in a tunnel? <laughs> it's the cops from the Tate LaBianca thing. They're like, not related. Yeah, it's all weird, and it's not mentioned. And you would think, like, would the sympathy vote cancel out? I think it's justified to say that Jack could win from the sympathy vote just because Tom was the alderman before Yeah, they knew who he was. Whereas Jamal's brother is sort of under the radar. He's not like someone that people know. Sure. But still, to not even mention it in the aftermath of of what happened is weird. And so we get a little bit of closure with each of the women. Linda reacquires her store that she had lost. Belle gives some money to the hairdresser she worked for and then moves away with her daughter. Alice, I did see one that said like she started her own business. I don't really see how that's clear from the movie. She seems like she's doing fine, but I don't know about a business. I don't really see what what that is. That's not I mean, really established. I don't, I don't remember that. Maybe that's what that woman's talking to her about. Okay, the maybe. Diner, but yeah, it, I don't know. People are jumping to a lot of conclusions, maybe. Veronica donates a large sum to rebuild a school library on the condition that it be named after her son, Marcus. Which is very sweet. And then the ending of the film is Veronica and Alice outside of that diner where they both were in at the same time and they saw each other but they didn't react or acknowledge each other but then outside Veronica lets the wall down and is like hey how are you doing and then it cuts off it is sort of like the Dark Knight Rises with Michael Caine that's right yeah (laughs) just like the acknowledgement and then end of the movie yeah although it's like I guess it feels like there's an insinuation like she can maybe be a normal person with feelings again or something. Yeah, it's so like cold. a weight yeah. lifted. Because all the characters do go on a journey of self-discovery and exceeding expectations and becoming these different people. And yes, it happens under the umbrella of illegal activity. And <laughs> yes, right, right. technically Linda did murder someone. Wow. Although they try to make Tom seem to be not that great of a person, so you're not supposed to feel that sad about it. That's true. But it doesn't make it any less of a murder. Uh, Yeah, that's right. But yeah, I think that there's a popcorn action movie vibe. Like, that's the front, but with a subtext, a stronger message underneath. And these women... You stick with them because of their their gritty desperation, the reality to it. This yeah. isn't like some fun, carefree heist movie. Like I said, I think that they do a good job of incorporating race, gender, wealth disparity, politics, power, etc. into this big stew. Right. 
and yeah, I, I think in a perfect world, this would be like a maybe a mini series on Netflix. But there's a lot of elements. For whatever reason, McQueen was very committed to the idea of doing this as a feature. Yeah, and I think it worked. I think this has enough material to be a show. Maybe but one day we'll in the see. right hands, it's a pretty effective movie too. I think so. So this one went way longer than Holy I, was hell. I was going to. Yeah. No <laughs> recommendations this week. <laughs> All right. We'll skip the recommendations. We'll just say check out Widows if you haven't seen it. You can follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, whatever you can. Tell a friend about the show. Give us a rating and review. Let us know on Twitter if you'd like a sticker. Follow us on Letterboxd at Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. I doubt that there's virtually a single person left listening right now, but (laughs) maybe if you're one of the people that had a listener request in, you'll be pleased to hear we are doing a listener request next. Even the uh, subscribers were just like deleted this episode. (laughs) We got the download, but they're like, what? This runtime for Widows? Yeah, we we stand for widows. We oh, are yeah, widow right. stands over yeah, here. Stand. Yeah, just talking away. Definitely Elizabeth Debicki stands. I would say probably more so than uh, she might have a newfound audience after being a tenant, but she might have like a newfound. I, I've always liked Michelle Rodriguez. And oh, definitely Viola Davis, and I like everybody in this absolutely. Movie, really, I think it's like a really cool, interesting cast. Yeah, it got a lot of people at at interesting points in their careers technically viola davis is the headliner like the lead this is the first movie in her 30-year career that she was like the lead of oh wow like the top name top billing and to have like liam neeson and robert duvall colin farrell's like supporting roles is like kind of cool oh definitely all right so thanks for listening listener request up next and we'll talk to you soon
don't get me wrong. It's not like I've never had sex before. I've had lots of sex. It's just that now I'd like to try it with a partner. <laughs> 